maybe this is my sort of call to action for your audience, for the Bitcoin artists out there. You are doing God's work if you are exposing the corruption of fiat money. And there's just so many layers to this thing and such a rich tapestry of things that you can draw from. Where is that art? Instead of life is meaningless, go expose this stuff. This is the Bitcoin Muse, and I'm Clay Ines. Today, Jimmy Song, a formative voice in my Bitcoin journey, joins me for a blistering critique of modern and contemporary art, including NFTs. Using his latest book, Fiat Ruins Everything, and specifically Chapter 26, Fiat Debases Art, as the frame for our conversation, Jimmy jumps right in with his strong opinions and passionate disdain for Picasso, Rothko, and their ilk. Unpacking the broken incentives across a huge swath of the art world, we simultaneously lament and posit solutions for the downstream distortions created by fiat. It's the kind of conversation that could have gone on for a long time, but I'm committed to making these rips bite-sized points of departure for your own rumination. The Bitcoin Muse is intended to be an evergreen catalyst for conversation and thought, and I do my best to avoid current events so as to explore the recurring themes surrounding art under the emerging Bitcoin standard. I think Jimmy's opinions perfectly fit into that mission, but I'll leave you to judge that for yourself. Be sure to follow Jimmy's song as you listen to our chat and to share, rate, and subscribe to the Bitcoin Muse. So far, my dad is the only person to have left a review, so get on it, folks. Let's not let nepotism rule the day. I already work in Hollywood. Any support you can show me inspires me to keep going with this labor of love. I'm grateful for any and all reposting of my Twitter, Vero, and Nostra feeds. And if you listen on a podcasting 2.0 app like Fountain or Breeze, you should know that 10% of all those streams and boosts split to help OpenSats fund Bitcoin and other free and open source projects. So thank you. And now we drop into my chat with Jimmy Song, author of the freshly printed Fiat Ruins Everything. Well, I enjoyed your chapter 26, Fiat Debases Art. And I was just perusing quickly through. That's the only chapter with an, that I noted with an author's note. Yeah, that's my trigger warning. That's the only one that requires, I think, a trigger warning because people are very sensitive about art is what I've come to. Isn't that sort of strange? I mean, it's not like art permeates everybody's life, especially the kind of capital A art we're talking about. And yet, as soon as you scratch that surface, they really get defensive. Yeah, they, they get very defensive. I don't know, because... It is like kind of subjective, right? Art, art is supposed to be subjective. Yet people get really offended if you don't like, uh, you say you don't like something that they like. And it's it's almost like part of them and they feel like you're rejecting them or something like that. But honestly, I, I think most people have been psyoped into thinking that Picasso is like good art when I think it looks gross and disgusting. I still don't get that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm steeped in that world, right? So I'm always having to kind of separate, right? I have I have hours of art history under my belt. Is that the sunk cost fallacy playing out? <laughs> Something like that. I mean, we we do know, for example, that Jackson Pollock, right? Like there was like a CIA thing to promote him and stuff. And like the more I learn about art, uh, the art world and how political it is and 
how certain things are pushed and stuff like that. It's it seems like a horribly corrupt way to do things. It's not based on merit. It's not about who can make things make things that are, I don't know, I guess emotionally meaningful and reflect some great truth. It's it's just who's popular among the literati or something. It, it's it's just completely it's very fiat. <laughs> it's, it's like it used to be okay, you go to the Sistine Chapel. Wow, like God must have touch you had the hand of god i think is the quote uh from the pope when he saw it for the first time like you've been blessed by the hand of god or something and it's like like that's how it's supposed to touch you it's so obviously beautiful so obviously amazing that you can say something like that you look at what's that guy that um uh you know just draws like abstract pieces like mondrian Rothko or something like Roth Rothko, sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just like, how is that anything, right? Like it's it's like a completely meaningless thing, and I, I hate going to like a museum. Like usually it's like a museum of modern art, and you know, oh, you you have to understand what the art where the artist was coming. Like the whole medium is visual. It's supposed to like impact you visually when you see it. And if you need like layers of explanation, you failed as an artist. If it doesn't come through with sight and you need to read the little panel next to it, then you failed as an artist. And like, and they're basically showing off their failure as if it's something meaningful. That that that's what bothers me. I don't know. Yeah. And by the and way, are, are are we are we recording for the thing right now, or are we yeah, just why sort not? of why not? Okay. <laughs> Okay. Let's dive in. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Jimmy. I think one of the first things you come to in 20th century and, and even con all contemporary art is we lose representation. Yeah. We lose that representational quality of art. Not to say that there wasn't non-representational art prior. Uh, the Islamic architecture and the patterning, the mandalas of deep spiritual... Well, well they couldn't represent anything because it was against their religion, but yeah. <laughs> And they were working in a kind of spiritual vernacular that might have mm -hmm. been beyond words, right? And but still mm -hmm. decidedly beautiful. Mm -hmm. So, so we have both a, a disappearance of consistent representation, and arguably, I think you would, beauty seems to be a tertiary concern. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's about evoking like emotion or something like that, and they don't care that it's just disgust, which is what I feel when I see Picasso. And uh, and I want to get back to your 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 point about representation because there I want to kind of bring it back to Bitcoin a little bit because there there's an essay that I read, and it's a fantastic essay, and it's a libertarian literary critique of a, a short story set in the Weimar Republic. And it goes through a lot of stuff, but one of the one of the most important parts of it that was extremely insightful was you think about money, and the banknote used to represent gold, and that was the idea. It was okay. This banknote represents this many ounces of gold, and at any point you can go into a bank and get those ounces of gold. That that was the idea. It it was a representation of something, and it worked for a while. Until like fiat money became so prevalent that it stopped representing, well, it was something representing what was representing gold. 
And this is the idea of a simulacrum, which is that it's a copy with sort of ironically without an original. And that's essentially what art has become. It's no longer representational. And instead of representing anything, it's a, it's a representation of a representation of a representation. It's turtles all the way down. It's a meaningless thing. And it's purposefully meaningless in the same way that fiat money is meaningless. Because in a sense, it's, it's not trying to give you a perspective on the world at all. It's giving you sort of like, here's the perspective that you need to have. It's very forceful. It's very trying to get you into the frame that the artist wants without doing any of the work, right? It's, it's very sort of like, I am demanding that you do this. And in that way, it's, it's very much like fiat money. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of something that I read on Twitter once that most books could be essays, most essays could be tweets, right? Most tweets, could, we, we tend to over-elevate our message into a medium to give it significance. Mm -hmm. And I do think that a lot of contemporary art could just be a sentence <laughs> of, of some sort of conceptual idea. And, and it's the same sentence. Uh, what's really bothersome is that, oh, my life is meaningless. That's basically the point of all abstract modern art. It's, okay, what, what's a banana type to a wall? Oh, it's life is meaningless. Oh, what, what's this bed that, you know, has garbage around it? Oh, life is meaningless. It's the same nihilistic message. It has no transcendence whatsoever. It's banal and ugly and without any me like anything that goes beyond in fact it, it's like it goes below right it, it's purposefully sort of making us think of the commonality of every every experience which is like the basis lowest thing which is that things don't make sense and you know you just sort of have to accept it that's the message yeah and and even their messaging mm -hmm. when you do spend a little time reading the the basic synopsis it's written in the most impenetrable art speak <laughs> even for the reasonably intelligent person you're just shaking your head in the contrivances of sentence structure yeah and and it's exactly how Jerome Powell sounds when he's talking to congress right like it's purposefully obfuscated so that you don't find out the emperor has no clothes. It's just layers of invisible thread or something like that. It's okay, you know, we're going to dazzle you over here with words so that you don't pay attention to the fact that this is crap. And, you know, honestly, the, this is like, I think people react so strongly to criticisms of abstract art because in, in a sense they think they see the emperor's clothes and they think they're part of the special club that understands it. it it's very like not has that gnostic quality of okay like you need to be in the special club to know what we're talking about and if you don't then you're kind of i don't know like uncultured heathen or something it's it's just so pretentious. I, I hate it so much. I want to pick it apart. I'm not here to be a devil's advocate because I, I largely agree with you. Uh -huh. But I think that together we could make this argument so that future efforts wouldn't even need the kind of artist statement. There's no need for a trigger warning because I do think we're on to something. I've been largely inspired by 
the art of the past, including numerous works of the 20th century. And sometimes because, yeah, I could have done that. (laughs) 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 And I think you addressed one constant criticism, which is you basically say that they could do representational art, right? Picasso knew how to paint a woman, right? Aside from put his cigarettes out on her hand. This is a nasty person who even ChatGPT continues to laud and couch and make excuses for, uh, given what we know about him. But what is your critique to they could paint? What really bothers me is like, that's like the first thing that they say is, oh, you know, this doesn't look like, oh, you know, he, 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 he knows how to draw. And, you know, there are other paintings. And like, then why did he do it? It's kind of like saying that Newton's alchemical pursuits were legitimate because he invented calculus. You know, one thing doesn't mean the other. Like somehow this thing is deeply meaningful because he had the technical ability to draw something good. It doesn't matter. Like if you're not making something good, suddenly like all the other stuff that you make is now blessed with your ability from the other one. It's not how things work. It's not like suddenly a transitive property or something like that. And it's especially bothersome because the reason why he didn't do more representational stuff, a large part of it was that it took too long. Making something representational, it's very easy for the viewer to judge whether or not you've done it accurately. And in fact, I remember going to some museum in in Spain and there was an artist, I can't remember who, but I'm like, this guy can't draw. Like... (laughs) You know, he was, I guess, important during the Spanish Civil War or something, and there were, there were some things. But it's like, the faces just look really bad. It just didn't look like a person. Like, all their stuff, you know, buildings around it and stuff, it, it looked realistic. But clearly, this guy just didn't know how to draw a face, right? And that's something that I, I think a lot of artists, like, don't like is being kind of judged on their merits they would rather be judged on you know like the abstract or because it's much easier to deflect criticism on that front whereas you draw a tree and it doesn't look like a tree you're clearly like there's some objective standard in a sense they're rebelling against reality right of objective standards and i think that's a large part of picasso's desire to like go into the abstract to escape criticism essentially but more importantly like he was able to create like 50 pieces a day and like just sign his name and he's like the ultimate like proof of stake artist it's like it doesn't matter what he painted he could put picasso on the bottom it could be a pile of shit and it didn't it wouldn't matter people would buy it because it says picasso That, to me, is the essence of modern art. It's all about the signature, has nothing to do with the merit. And it's all about politics and getting in good with the right people and not about technical skill or the ability to induce emotion or anything like that. It's all the same. Well, yeah, and I think that's worth unpacking a little bit. I think he was also somewhat famous, or at least this may be apocryphal, but paying for meals with just signing the check and not paying. It was, it was pay for stake instead of proof of stake. 
I, I heard that about Salvador Dali too, about how he I think he too he would sign it beautifully on a check, and he knew nobody would cash them or something like that because he signed them beautifully. Yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine. <laughs> and but that idea of a signature mm. in the role of that's a way of stamping their celebrity status right? mm-hmm. and this cult of celebrity that emerged in the 20th century seems woven with artistic endeavor. Yeah, uh, so the artist has become more important than the art, right? It's not about what you're trying to put on canvas or carve into a statue anymore. It's much more about who the artist is. And they. this is something that every artist since then has sort of taken advantage of. And, you know, to be fair, I think a large degree of like social media, this, and, you know, I'm kind of guilty of that too, right? Where I'm I'm uh, building a brand or something like that. And it's not necessarily the words that I speak or write or the videos I make that are in of themselves uh, the thing that people want. It's me. But the thing about art is that philosophically, it's become way more narcissistic because it's all about the artist. And what do we get is the same message again and again, which is life is meaningless. And that's about the only thing that could come out when the focus is inward. Because, yeah, if all you're doing is looking inward, you're really not going to get much more than, hey, this looks all kind of meaningless over here. The representational art requires you to look outward. One of the places I, I visited the past year was the Sistine Chapel. And one of the things I learned was Michelangelo lived in an era of a very different philosophy of art. And for Renaissance artists, why you painted and what you painted had like a theological basis. If you didn't paint something or you, you wanted to paint something to glorify God, and you know this is sort of the Christian worldview, whatever you do, you're supposed to do for the glory of God. Whereas modern artists, they're, they're doing it for their own glory, right? Like they're doing it to become famous. Whereas for these artists, and many of them like weren't famous, and they, they spent a lot of time on different things, they did it for the art itself, right? Like doing it as an external sort of focus. And you see this all over the place. Like something I point out is that Michelangelo only signed one item that he ever created, and it was La Pieta. And that was, that was when he was like 24 five years old or something like that. He was fairly young and it wasn't there originally. And the only reason he put it there was he overheard some people talking and saying, oh, who, what, what master created this? And they, they mentioned everybody but him. And he was so angry. He went up there and carved his name into the sash of Mary. And he always, you know, rest of his life, he never did that again because he realized that that was his pride, right? Like that was like taking away from that, amazing piece of art by putting his name there because it's no longer glorifying God. In a way, a part of it glorifies him. And this was the sort of mentality that he had. And you could see it all over the different churches in Rome, where there are these gorgeous statues, gorgeous marble statues, giant, amazing, intricately carved, gorgeous statues that probably took four or five years just to carve out. And none of them have a signature. None of them have a signature. That was how they made sure to keep themselves out of it and to keep it 
focused on the art. And you contrast that to the art today where, you know, it's so important for the artist to put the signature in. It's like, what seems more noble to you? What what seems more right to you, more beautiful to you, more, you know, what seems like it has more dedication, right? Like uh, what's more vulnerable, what's more beautiful, what's more interesting? To me, modern art just lacks all of those qualities. That's where I think Fiat ruined it. <laughs> and I think we should set up a dichotomy. It's not like the entire century and a half now is bereft of worthy creative endeavor. Mm. They may just have toiled in obscurity mm. rather than become celebrities of the money laundering gallery scene. Yeah, absolutely. I think the human spirit is indomitable in terms of wanting and needing to find reverence. I think it will emerge again and maybe be prioritized. But if we're at a nadir of, we've been distracted by fiat and the art scene as an artist, right? And mm -hmm. in a podcast dedicated to talking to artists <laughs> inspired by Bitcoin, I don't want to blanket this thing so brutally mm -hmm. that you discourage people to realize there's another way. Yeah, that the contemporary hole we're in, we have to climb out. And, and you're maybe pointing ways to do that. I don't want to be too brutal about this stuff because I, I do appreciate a lot of Bitcoin art. And there is sort of like a natural external focus when it comes to artists that are inspired by Bitcoin because you have this system, you have a reality that you can sort of try to represent, right? And it's interesting because Bitcoin itself is very abstract. And to go and try to represent that in a real way is actually quite a challenge. And I, I'm impressed with, for example, like crypto graffiti. He, he, he like took a bunch of bills and like cut out different pieces and made a lot of this stuff and like sort of subverted a lot of logos. That's a really cool way to represent what Bitcoin is because in a sense, it's showing a different dimension of reality that most people are not exposed to. So it does sort of like, it speaks for itself. It doesn't need cryptography's you know, name on it for you to get something out of it. And it strikes the viewer in a different way. So I like art like that. It's just that so much of modern art, like, and there, I don't know what it is, but a lot of artists feel this need to defend other artists if they're making money. I saw this especially with like the NFT stuff where it's like, I know this is trash. This is money making Ponzi scheme of epic proportions, but artists sort of felt compelled to go defend it because, you know, oh, it's hard to make it as an artist and good for them for making money, even if it's a complete scam. I don't think that's the right attitude, but there's something about the artist fraternity that sort of encourages that sort of thinking. I think there's even a more nefarious level where the artists were duped. Mm. <laughs> you know, their naivete was preyed upon by the larger uh, NFT ecosystem, right, that was, that was dumping it used the this kind of strange privileged place of the artist and co-opted that. Mm -hmm. it, it was really, it was fiat on steroids. It was crazy. Art it has been selling out for a long time now, but this was especially egregious because 
in a sense, they were taking advantage of like sort of the starving artist. Me, we, I mean, we all know like a very talented musician or artist or something can't seem to catch a break. But whenever you hear them, you're like, wow, why, why isn't this person like more, you know, whatever. And, you know, they like you kind of feel sorry for them. And that's what the NFT craze was preying on was trying to take your sympathy for your friend into something. Oh, you know, this thing's going to give them all this free money or something. And of course, it doesn't. The vast majority of the of the NFTs that actually made money were completely corporate and like just. It didn't go to anybody deserving at all. It was just, okay, we're going to make monkeys or something. But because it made it seem like artists as a group were somehow oppressed and this was like some new free expression or something like that, it made them sort of way more sympathetic to it than it should have. In a sense, a lot of artists kind of got duped into thinking that this was their salvation when... When really, no, it's still a fiat system. It's still all about your getting to be people or something, right? Like, how did people get there? Well, there was a political hierarchy that you had to go up just like in any other fiat endeavor. So it's just very saddening to me that artists were defending that, especially as they were getting exploited. I agree. And I think the idea Bitcoiners seem to have well you know, internalize the idea that your reputation is the only thing you have total control over. And to see so many artists' reputations be sullied by the stain of NFTs is problematic. Even when I go searching for artists to chat with, I do a quick evaluation of their embracing of NFTs or not. Uh, uh. It's sad. Now, maybe I'm being a little overly harsh, but... No, I, I, in a sense, this is the definition of selling out. You are taking your artwork, what's supposed to mean something like very personal to you and very deeply meaningful to you, and you're selling that for some money. This is the definition of so this. This is where the term selling out came from. You're you're making it commercial. You're making it whatever will give me money rather than about the art itself, about what it is that you're trying to do with it. You've just undermined all of your message by doing this. But, you know, I kind of get it because the immediacy of money in a fiat monetary system is so great that, you know, you need to eat, you need to pay rent, you need to get gas for your car. I kind of get it. But it, you know, it doesn't make it right. I'm with you. And, and we can leave those NFTs behind. At times, do you just feel like a curmudgeon? You know, who's just <laughs> one of these old guys who's like, hates the, what the kids are doing today. Yeah. Because I, as I get older, I start to feel it, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, I definitely feel like that. And I mean, I have kids, so of course they remind me that I'm old all the time. But I mean, in a sense, what what's uh, what's really offensive to me, I guess, is, is just how prevalent this has gotten and uh, how meaningless it's, it's becoming. But, you know... I suppose every middle-aged man throughout history has sort of like said s similar stuff. Maybe that's part of like nature that maybe they were all right in some way that there is something about youth that's just kind of naive and stupid that 
you need age and time and wisdom to understand. Now, to do it in a curmudgeon-y way perhaps isn't that effective, but I, I do want to speak the truth and sort of expose them to alternate opinions rather than like, I guess the modern trend is affirming absolutely anything and everything anyone does, no matter how stupid or destructive it is. Yeah. And, and I do think that while there may be an individual desire inside the artist, mm. if they're sufficiently aligned and moving and creating with intention, there is an aspect of wanting to be remembered the way the greats of old were remembered. To create, you have to move with a certain amount of ego or you'd be paralyzed. That's okay. I, I, I do. Well, I mean, I, I write books, so I, I have at least a, the inkling of what that's like. And there is something about having sort of that long-term vision, right? Like, uh, and in that way, artists have to be the ultimate low-time preference people because they have to plan for the future and say something that is just eternally true and not just something that happens to be in the moment. And that's difficult. That is really difficult to sort of like capture that in a piece of art where it like really connects because if, even if you feel it, if it doesn't come out in your art and it doesn't connect with the audience, then, then ultimately you've just sort of failed as an artist. And that is another whole can of worms where a lot of artists blame the audience for not getting it rather than adjust to the audience so that they can. Uh, and that's particularly bad in the, you know, like painting and, you know, visual fine art, or they seem to love blaming the audience rather than sort of adjusting to it. There is something about like lasting uh, and having something that outlives you that we all have. It's why we have children, I think. It's why we want to, you know, make the world a better place for everybody else, because it, in a sense, it's it's the impact that you make. So the ego part, I think, is, you know, there there are alternatives. I, I think a lot of artists in maybe the last 120 years or so, they have gone off of ego. But like I said, that, that wasn't the case for prior generations where it isn't ego that drives you. It's devotion to God or devotion to a cause or devotion to something else where you almost can't help but do it because you're you want this truth to get out and i think that ends up being a much better motivation because in a sense the art that gets created out of ego is often just really narcissistic i mean i love dave chappelle don't get me wrong i think he's like really funny but the latest stuff is just so much about himself and, you know, oh, you know, I'm such a good comedian. I could do X, Y, or Z. A lot of hip hop art is like that and stuff. I don't know how long that goes because it's it's not really, you know, universal or it's not outside you enough, right? Like it's just sort of like, here, I'm dumping myself out onto this thing and you have to take it or something. I don't know. Yeah, and I think that even a talented artist and the bizarre art form of stand-up comedy can be sort of seduced or starting to mm -hmm. 
to get lost in the mire because the pervasiveness, the corruptions of fiat. And to be fair, we're picking on art because that's my particular wheelhouse. <laughs> but I mean, your book is fiat ruins absolutely everything. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah, it is. And uh, and yeah, artists honestly are probably some of the least affected, actually, by fiat money, relatively speaking. They're still completely affected by fiat in all sorts of ways. But an investment banker, like versus an artist, like there's no competition whatsoever. You know, uh, a lawyer or a government bureaucrat, or you know, other than maybe like a welder or something like that. It's just like the artists tends to be way more independent of fiat money, and in that sense, they're best positioned to sort of bring out the, uh, you know, sort of expose the hypocrisy of fiat money and the corruption of fiat money, maybe this is my sort of call to action for your audience, for the Bitcoin artists out there. You are doing God's work if you are, you know, exposing the corruption of fiat money. And there's just so many levels to this thing, layers to this thing, and such a rich tapestry of things that you can draw from where is that art, right? <laughs> Instead of life is meaningless, like go expose this stuff. No, it's it's something that is really hard, right? We're dealing with a nascent technology. The truth machine that is Bitcoin is just beginning to percolate into people's consciousness. Artists, I would argue, are the tip of the spear for cultural change. Mm. But as you know, it takes a little time for Bitcoin to filter through yeah. the, the fiascos of fiat that we knew no other. Yeah, it, it really does. And you need a deep understanding of it to really, first of all, get Bitcoin. And uh, I, the typical timeline on that is like at least a couple of years. So once that's sort of inside of you, then maybe you can make something. But then, like, maybe your artistic style has to change to accommodate or, you know, the the way you express yourself has to, like, accommodate. You can't just go back to what you were just doing and, like, make a couple of tweaks. It, it really has to be kind of like a, almost a different paradigm almost because it's it's a different truth so yeah i feel like almost the science and the tech of it is a very kind of empirical you have the empirical understanding and then it's a it should ignite the metaphorical allegorical mind in humanity we should be back to telling stories mm. mythic stories of corruption in our art again, but I've, it's been difficult to, to shift people back there when they're just used to some sort of TikTok extravaganza, <laughs> right? That's, that's one off and nonsense and, and on to the next. Very few people like spend time contemplating a painting anymore, right? Like it, that used to be very normal. That, that was actually used by the church to like help people that couldn't read because contemplating a painting is a lot more, I guess it uses your senses a lot more and it's it's a lot easier to comprehend than words. So that that was what what how it was communicated, but we do have other visual forms now, uh, other I guess other art forms that that can communicate and videos tend to be especially effective. But that's not to say that 
static, I guess, art or something, something that's uh, more fine can't do the same job. But it, it does require a little more maturity out of the audience. And I don't know, maybe we're not at the point where the audience is ready, right, for, for that sort of thing. And the focus on art these days is just so much on is this going to sell or not instead of is this going to communicate this great truth. I mean, there's some correlation between those things, but I think artists would be better served by trying to communicate a truth rather than, oh, here's what's selling, but do it in a way that the you know typical audience member can really get and understand and get the message. And sometimes you have to be less subtle about it. You have to like beat them over the head with, with the obviousness of something, but... That's the price kind of you have to pay as an artist is, okay, they're not as sophisticated as you, and they're not going to get all of the subtle things that you you put into your work, but sometimes that's what's needed. And if you are doing it for a cause, then it's not about narcissistic sort of, hey, look what I can do. It's much more about the cause. And if you are a, an artist in Bitcoin, I think the cause is obvious and that should be your primary sort of like aim. Yeah. And I think because Bitcoin, as it as the mycelium network expands, that there will be niches inside that rather than trying to take on the all-encompassing. Uh, the same way Michelangelo broke down his, his daily efforts, but also the stories he was telling on the ceiling or the Pieta in its uh, solemnity. Mm -hmm. A professor of mine who is a photography professor is a no-coiner. <laughs> and, and I come at him with the zeal and enthusiasm and optimism. And he said, beware of false gods. Mm. Well, that hung with me a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because I don't believe Bitcoin to be a false god. But I see it's messianic, to quote Eric Kaysan. I can see the other aspects of it. And, and so am I just wimping out by even acknowledging that statement? <laughs> I think there's some truth to that because uh, there is sort of like a tendency to worship anything that you see as good. Yeah, I, yeah I'm a Christian, so I, I, I read a lot of the Bible. The, the almost immediate reaction to seeing angels in the Bible almost everywhere people fall down at worship. That's like, and they're like, get up, what are you doing? But that that's how glorious and beautiful um, some of this stuff can be. And I think in, in, a, in a very abstract way, Bitcoin is really beautiful in that it sort of takes away all of the corruption of fiat money. I would say though, to your no coin professor, think about what you're saying. Okay, you're, you're saying that we're the ones obsessed with Bitcoin to the point where we're making them gods. I would argue that you're the one that's worshiping fiat money. And that is something that a lot of people don't think that they're doing. But think about it. Even the artists that are going over to NFTs and stuff like that, why, why are they doing it? Well, because they think having more money will increase their art somehow. Or having more money will help them become a better artist or get more exposure or something like that. The money isn't it. It's like, I believe that it's the truth of what you're saying, the skill with which you do it. It should be around merit. But in a sense, you're implicitly already sort of agreeing with the system that you need exposure, you need politics, you need all of this stuff. 
I tell this stuff to, uh, you know, couples at church all the time. I'll ask them like, so why, uh, you know, what's stopping you from having kids? And they'll be like, I can't afford it. Well, so what are you saying? Well, that if you had money, that the money would take care of the kid. This is how you know that someone worships money because they, first of all, talk about money and they act like if they had enough money that all their problems would be solved. And I suspect that your no-coiner professor is very much in that camp. And if you really didn't worship money, then you would probably be doing things a lot differently. Instead of focusing on what sells, for example, you'd be focused on making sure it's true and understandable. And maybe you get criticized by the hoity-toity saying, oh, that's too simplistic. And it's, you know, it's not really imaginative or original. Well, who cares? If, if you're getting your message out and you're saying the truth that you want, you've accomplished your goal and you're connecting with the right people. Yeah. But this fiat system of getting approval from the people that are sort of higher up than you on the status ladder, that is an entirely fiat game. And that is unfortunately what most artists are, I think, worshiping. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And and there, of course, is not that this would be an aspiration, but art history is replete with artists discovered 200 years after their death. You know, <laughs> They toiled in obscurity for their entire lives, only to be bequeathed masters 200 years later. Vermeer comes to mind. Yeah, and that, that in itself is an interesting phenomenon, and I suspect it's because uh, that art is going to be scarce. There's no more that it, that's going to be made of it. Uh, and this is why they say death is actually a great career move for a lot of artists. The, the thing is, like, merit is the key thing here, and I think it for most people, merit is very obvious. When you see a Michelangelo, it is obvious that that's really good because it's so close to the representation. And it's doing things in a way that that you can't see in real life. Like people don't float up like that or like lie down on a cloud. Yet he makes it look incredibly realistic. So that sort of like uh, artistic judgment is, I think, unfortunately, something that a lot of artists don't like or shy away from because it's objective. It's very obvious that what they did isn't up to par or something like that. So it requires a lot more time and skill to go into. But you know, like every other job or good or service in the world gets judged that way. Why, why not artists? If you're a plumber and you know, your work springs a leak, that's your fault, right? You're not a good plumber. If you're an artist and you can't make something look exactly the way you want it to, then that's your fault. You don't have enough skill to do it. It it just it's weird how artists like sort of try to go away from personal responsibility or judgments of the market in that way. Yeah, and look, I'm a photographer. I, <laughs> I daubed my brush into the paint and was like, you know what? I'm going this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think today, as you alluded to earlier, that there are modern forms of art, filmmaking that moves people. The way somebody standing in, you know, on the floor of the Sistine Chapel would have dropped to their knees. So I, I think that we shouldn't, even going back to the earlier notion, that we shouldn't dismiss wholesale artistic creation from individuals. They just knew media to apply their skill. And you wonder if Michelangelo were alive today, would he be 
a famed director? Well, Michelangelo like had a lot of different skills, which is honestly kind of missing today from a lot of artists, right? Like they're they they sort of specialize, which is sort of like a fiat thing where you know you you need to stay in your lane because you can't get up too high on too many different things because you have to play the political game in each one. So really, you have to focus on one and get up the ladder there. That tends to be the case in a lot. Uh, so, you know, you get very niche specializations and so on, whereas Michelangelo was an architect, a sculptor, a painter, even a theologian to some degree and teacher. And like he did so much stuff. What would he be doing? I think he would have been crushed by the fiat system. Maybe like there's a tiny, tiny lane that he's a part of or something like that. We probably have lots of potential Michelangelo's running around. It's just that they didn't have the freedom that he did or the or the skill development that he got to have because the education system failed them. The, you know, fiat system sort of like put all of the urgency of living into into them. So, you know, they're maybe working some other job or something like that. And just statistically, you know, the number of people alive when Michelangelo was born was not that many. We have many, many multiples of that. I'm, I'm sure there are artists with that kind of ability. It's just they haven't had the right tools or something. Unfortunately, fiat really ruins the artistic development, I guess, of certain individuals. And we don't get the masterpieces of it yesteryear. And you get instead crap I, like, I hate to say it but that's what it is maybe a bitcoiner in the future will be a, a type of there will be medicis many medicis mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who sponsor nurture and develop and, and go out and even find this obscure instagram feed where a kid is just unbelievably talented and nurture him into into our world that's already kind of happening uh, and you know it wasn't just the Medici's. There were like so many sculptors. Bernini, for example, he had a sponsor from like the age of 20 something and just created these incredible sculptures. Just mind blowing how intricate they are and how if you looked at, you view the sculpture from a different angle, you get a completely different story and different perspectives and stuff. That sort of brilliance you, you can't have unless like someone is completely devoted to it. Fiat money makes it so that you can't, but there are sort of like these um, apprenticeships or something, sponsorships that that are starting to happen. My, my friend, uh, that David Perel, so he wrote the forward for this book. So I, I took his class right of passage and uh, and I guess there was a cohort where there was a guy that, that he saw a lot of potential. He's like, okay, you're really good at this stuff. Okay. But he, he just didn't know very much about business or like how to become popular. And he tried to put like a paywall when he had like 50 followers or something. So he's like, I'm going to fund you and you're, you're going to do what you're doing. Just let me handle some of this stuff. And he did. And he's like extremely popular. now. That I think is the model, I think, of artistic development that we haven't had in a very long time where you need a patron and it's not just money it's the recognition of talent where you know you're you're good enough to understand that there is artistic value in something 
but not good enough to actually produce it yourself and you have the resources. And this is another thing that's really terrible about fiat art is that most people don't have that sense anymore because art is whatever the elites say it is. It's not about right evaluation. People that have some sort of some level of expertise and can say, okay, you know what? That is really good. And there is talent. And I cannot live without that talent being sort of developed in this world. I mean, there's so little of that because the artistic senses are just completely obscured at this point where most people are afraid to say anything about art because, oh, you Philistine, you heathen, you, you, you have no artistic sense and blah, blah, blah. You're not going to get patrons until we break out of that mentality where people actually feel like they know something. Yeah, and it's so easy to say, given the subjective nature of art. I mean, you are you come out swinging that you think Picasso sucks, right? Like, you hate him. You hate him. He was like a Stalinist, like, communist. He was an apologist for all kinds of evil all his life. Not to say that that mean, necessarily means his art is bad, but the art itself is as grotesque as, it, as he was personally. Yeah, and kind of incredible that he's to this day celebrated. And uh, given cancel culture, given just the awareness we have of this man, it's a mystery. And yet you can get away with saying you hate that because the subjective nature of stuff. I do think, though, you back it up. And the weaving of fiat and art will continue to be a conversation for me. And it has been in all previous conversations with artists. I think the Bitcoin artists get it first. And I look forward to... Um, to seeing how we emerge, because I do think that artists and art, when properly applied, the creativity when properly applied, liberates humanity and gets us going into new spaces, almost a way of tilling the soil for the, for the crops, you know, that the people then can sustain themselves. You toil, the artist toils. Yeah, and they should. It should be work, right? There should be some proof of work here. And, uh, and yeah, it's, you're not going to get it the first time and you might put a lot of effort into something that becomes a dud, but you know, th this is the part that I don't see with a lot of modern art. It's just every accident is equally like legitimate or something like that. Like anything Andy Warhol created for some reason is now like worth something, even if it has zero artistic merit, it's or like it doesn't land or whatever. It's it's because it's become about the artist and not the art. Uh, but the art's the important thing. This is what gets the message out there. And if it's all just navel-gazing, status-seeking game, then yeah, it, it really has, it's become completely fiat at that point and it provides no value to society whatsoever. Yeah. I do think that somebody like Warhol, he comes to mind a little bit when I think about someone like Crypto Graffiti, because the vernacular of pop art mm -hmm. is something that then that gives Crypto Graffiti entree to screw around with Goldman Sachs' logo, <laughs> you know, and in a subversive way. The difference, of course, is Crypto Graffiti is not pretending to be, you know, the final word on artistic endeavor. Yeah, I mean, he he's just sending a message, and that's what I appreciate about his art. It's, okay, here's the message, and here's a way in which you can get it as, it's like, okay, that's recognizable, but there's something different there. And like using that as 
a means to get people to understand what's going on, that's great. I, I love that. But a lot of other artists, it's just, it's all about them. And it's, uh, as long as I become famous, who cares what message I'm sending? And I think too, because of the youthful nature of the endeavor, right? With Bitcoin being as young as it is, we'll see him and others mature and unique voices as this thing, as you know, once you see it, you don't unsee it. More artists, more people driven by the muses are going to see it. And so I remain steadfastly optimistic. <laughs> I hope so, because because the message is there. And I, I think the message that as a community that we've been trying to say to everybody else is pretty straightforward, right? Like even even the title of this book, Fiat Ruins Everything, is just sort of like, hey, like you do, you guys do realize that something is going wrong and everything is sort of gone haywire. To make that accessible to more people, I think is ultimately what we're going to need. But it takes time. It takes a lot of resources and trial and error and things and. Let's hope that our uh, that these artists can sort of escape from fiat enough to s tell this message, and like sort of become like a new renaissance of art that's different than everything else. Because I I really do think that fiat ruins everything and fiat ruined art. Therefore, if it's going to be reformed and changed and really make a cultural impact in a way that's different than the fiat world, then it's, it's got to emerge from the space. So in that way, you know, Bitcoin is the spear for the artists, right? Yeah. And we have a 200 year track record of art challenging conventions and, and we're just going to reverse course now. So, <laughs> uh, we are not without a template. We're just going into an uncharted territory, but it's going to be glorious. Yeah, I mean, the, the abstract sort of like non-representational stuff I think has played out and it's it's gone to the point where it's the norm and there's nothing more fiat than like really abstract art that's completely meaningless. So going in the other direction, swinging the pendulum in the other direction, maybe it's time for that and maybe, maybe Bitcoin's the thing that starts it. Well, I look forward to uh, seeing what emerges. <laughs> me too. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. There you have it. This one's going to push some buttons, and I love it. Please be sure to explore the work Jimmy has produced so far, and be sure to follow him and keep abreast of all he has to share. Links galore to Jimmy and the artists he mentioned are in the show notes. And please join my dad in sharing, rating, and subscribing to the Bitcoin Muse. Thanks to my brother for the music. Thanks to you for listening. And thanks to Jimmy Song for sharing his time, energy, and opinions on the Bitcoin Muse. Onward.